Welcome to the Business Big Bang Theory, presented by thebusinesscentre.com.au. Hello, I'm James O'Loughlin and welcome to the Business Centre. I'm hosting this discussion uh, instead of Steve Waite, uh, the big shoes to fill and I will do my best. And I'm very excited to be speaking to Kate Lyle, who with her husband David run Be Innovative, an ag tech company that helps farmers make better decisions that can lead to increased yields and profits. It's a really interesting area and uh, we're going to find out how it works, what Kate has learned from taking this from idea to what is rapidly becoming a very successful company and it's a very uh, warm welcome to Kate Lyle. G'day Kate. Hello, how are you? Good, thank you very much for, for joining us. Now firstly, I'm pretty sure most of us know bees, pollination, it's pretty important, but can you just fill us in on the vital role that bees play in a farmer's life? Yeah, so bees are huge. So um, bees are brought in to uh, pollinate farmer's crops. So 75% of the food we eat is pollinated by bees. So that's over 100 crops around the world that we need bees for so we can have food on our plates. And with those bees coming in and pollinating them, what are the, what are the variables? I guess the number of bees, uh, how healthy they are, how active they are? Yeah, definitely. So the, the health of the hive is huge. If you've got hives that are weak, they're not going to pollinate very well. And the numbers of bees in the hives are a lot less. So normally what will happen is they will bring in a certain amount of bees per acre. Yeah. The beekeeper will come in, drop the bees off, and then they'll sit in there for about six weeks or however long the crop is flowering for. And then once that's finished, the beekeeper will come and take those bees away and then the fruit will develop after and, that. And that's a system that's been operating for quite some time, isn't it? Absolutely. So this process hasn't changed in 200 years. The way yeah. we pollinate food now is how we did it 200 years ago. And in Newcastle and the Hunter, what, what crops are we talking about, mate? There's not too many around here, but in New South Wales, there's quite a lot. Got blueberries and raspberries up around Coffs Harbour. Um, further north, you've got macadamias around Byron Bay. Uh, and heading south, you then go into almonds, apples. So it's, it's quite spread out. Right. If there were no bees, what would happen to the crop? Depending on the crop. So almonds is a good example. So 100% dependent on bees to get almonds. Yeah. So they don't wind pollinate at all. Some crops will wind pollinate somewhat. Sunflowers is a good example, but it's very well known that bringing bees in as well will increase the yield of that crop because you get that genetic diversity with the bees. So if you've got wind pollination, you get pollen coming from a certain area in the crop, but bees flying all around the crop um, will increase the yield okay. quite a bit. So that's the world we're in. Now you are a nuclear medicine scientist, right? And your husband and co-founder David is in that world as well? Correct. So what is the overlap between that world and the world of bees? <laughs> it's a funny overlap. Mm. Um, we're both beekeepers. My husband's been a beekeeper for 30 odd years. Really? So we're you already... You mean professional or just uh, No, we do contract pollination, so yeah. professional. So we're already in that industry. Yes. Um, with my work, we track isotopes around the human body. So I guess that whole tracking nature is um, what the world I'm in. Yeah. So no laughing about puns, but it literally started over a cup of tea, no joke. Um, and we were talking back in about 2016, 2017, uh, and we were saying, you know, like you put the bees in, how do you really know where they go? 
Like, yes, right. bees have wings and yes, they'll fly, but they don't fly in concentric circles. So how do you really know where they go? So we started, you know, looking at the practices that we, asking questions, you know, the practices that we do now is what we did so many years ago. Surely it's time to make it better. So, so did you find that there was a problem in that, for example, two farmers might put an identical number of bees with an identical crop and one would have a really high rate of, of, of bee achieved pollination and, and one wouldn't and you couldn't really work out why? Well, absolutely. And the reason for that is you've got different topography, got different surrounds around the crop. Like if you've got, you know, big eucalypt trees that are surrounding the crop, you'll get more shadow in the morning so the bees don't come out as early, there's a whole swag of factors that affect bees. Yeah. Um, weather is a huge one as well. Right. Do you have a business idea, but you're not sure it'll work? We have small business toolboxes and expert business advisors to support and guide you through your startup process. Contact us via our website to find out how. Businesscentre.com.au. So what did you come up with? The easiest way to describe it is like a radar. So it sends out an energy pulse, it gets a lot of data back and we can identify in the crop where the bees are and more importantly, where they're not. Right. So initially when we started, we thought, you know, we'll put these sensors out all through the crop. Yeah, but well, very... just let me ask you about a radar for bees first, because that sounds not the easiest thing to design. <laughs> no, not at all. Hmm. So um, yeah, we, well, I guess with our work that we do, like how, how are we going to track these things? They're so small. So we just sort of, got planning and, and started and we came up with, with what we've got. So it's just, as I said, send out, sends out an energy pulse, gets a lot of data back. We've got back-end algorithms that sort out what's what. So you get data back from probably birds and slugs and everything. Oh, just, and also the, the leaves as well. Yeah. And so we can see... But so you can, you, 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 the smart thing in the background, which you designed, <laughs> can tell what's a bee and what isn't a bee. Exactly. Right. So that would have taken a while to get right, wouldn't it? It did. How long? <laughs> a couple of years. Yeah. Two years probably. Right. Yeah. And, and so that means you can say, all right, there's lots of bees on that part of the crop, but we're not getting any there. Absolutely. Is that right? Absolutely. And, and has there been any way for <clears throat> farmers to have that information before? No, not at all. So I mean, could they go for a walk and think, well, there kind of seems to be more bees here and less there, but be very, be very vague. And often the farmers just sort of leave it up to the beekeepers to bring them in. Um, yeah. Yes, they do walk the crop, and then often at the end of the season they can sort of see, yes, we've got better yield over this end. Not really sure what happened over here. But it's a bit late then, isn't it? It's too late then. You've yeah. got to wait till next year if you want to try and, and fix anything. Right. So, so you can, in the early vital days of, of when you're wanting the, the bee-led pollination to occur say this part of the crop is getting it, this bit isn't. Yes, and yes, so, absolutely. Right. And, and, and that's what your innovation is. It gives farmers that yep. information. So we display the, um, the results to the farmers on a colour graphic, a bit like a radar rain map. Got three colours, very easy to um, interpret. And the most important thing is once the bees are in, you can't move the hives in a short distance because the bees will go back to where the hive was and then unfortunately die. I mean, that's not very smart, is it? No, it's not I mean, you smart. probably think bees are very smart, do you? <laughs> no, it's not, yeah, I do, but yeah. that's not very smart, is it? That's one, No. Yeah. I mean, we all have our blind spots. <laughs> that's right? right. So if yeah. you want it, because the honeybee will travel approximately about three kilometres from the hive, 
if you do want to move bees, you have to move them further than that for a couple of weeks. They reorientate and then you could bring them back, which doesn't fit with the pollination period. Do you have a part-time business that you'd like to take full-time and beyond? Our experienced business advisors can support you in growing your area and making that big bang in business. Contact us at businesscentre.com.au. What do you do when the, when the farmer has this information, this bit of the crop's getting pollinated, this bit isn't? Yes. Okay, you've identified to me what the problem is. How do they solve it? So there's two options. Yeah. They can either decide to leave it as it is and we'll redo it next year. Right. Or they might want to um, bring some more bees in. Ring the beekeeper and say, hey, can you bring in another 20 hives? Yeah, right. And we're going to put them over here when you right. arrive. Put them right in the middle of the bit that isn't getting well, just pollinated. Exactly. So, yeah, we can tell them where the best spot is to put them. Yeah, yeah. Um, you mentioned that bit where you said uh, the radar we displayed in three colours. So... Mm -hmm. It's really important, isn't it? You've got all these very technical analysis of information to come up with where the bees are, but the farmers don't care about any of that. They just want to see really clearly where the bees are yep. and where they are. Exactly, and, and they want a simple answer. What do I do? Tell me what to do. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So, so they find that colour display very easy to interpret. Was like there a, a bit of trial and error? In, in yeah, there was. There was. Um, Were you too complicated at first? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, we've worked out how to make it more simple for them uh, and they appreciate that. What so was, was too, too, too much information at the beginning. So they like said, no, we don't want to know all this, you know, written reports and all that sort of stuff. We just want to see visually what they're doing and then we can make changes. Right. And how did you find out that the first way you designed it was a bit too complex. I mean, were you, were you continually asking your first customers or people you're doing trials That's with? right. Yeah, yeah, continually asking them and getting their feedback and then we can incorporate feedback into what we present. And you have to be a bit humble there because, it, I mean, it's tempting to think, look at this wonderful thing I designed and they're going, well, it's too complicated. And, you know, it's, it would be easy then to get defensive and say, well, that's your fault, wouldn't it? <laughs> I guess you could. Yeah. But I think with a startup, you've got to realise yeah. that you know, there's many different customers that you work with. A lot of them will have different opinions and we work across a lot of crops as well. So each customer might need a variation yep. compared to say, you know, almonds versus macadamias. Yeah. So I think you've just got to be open and you've got to take on advice. And these are the people that you're dealing with. Welcome their advice. And yeah, if it fits to change how you present it to, um, to the customer, then I think take that on board. Yeah, great. How did you get your first customer? Um... I'm just trying to think how we got our first customer. Um, I think, oh, I know how it was. Um, we went and presented to um, the blueberry growers up at Coffs Harbour. We did like a bit of a, a presentation on what we were doing. And from that, we then got a couple of blueberry growers. Um, so we spoke to sort of like their, their governing body. Yeah. And then that disseminated down through the, um, to, to the growers. Hmm. And then we had a few of those like early adopters that were interested. So we went up and did a trial with them. So you said, from firstly having the idea to first customer was what two years yeah at least two years well, at least two years yeah and were there times in that period where it just felt like you'd never get a customer oh yes yeah <laughs> definitely and, and so a lot of people go through that in fact i would suggest it almost every startup goes through those doubts or yes anyone yeah. writing I've, I've got this i've got this great product where do i start yeah yeah or anyone writing a book or writing a song, you know, you, you started but you haven't finished yet and you wonder if you'll ever finish. What advice would you, would you have for, for people? I think that? Um, my biggest advice would be to get help. So there's plenty of other, there's a lot of people in the startup community. Um, there's great venues like the Business Centre that will help you 
this is how you start, you do your business plan, what are your pains, what are your gains, like go all through everything if you want, you know, investment, um, every little aspect of a startup that you, you might not want to do that particular part, but you can consider it and decide if it's, you know, worth it for your company. So I think engaging with, um, with the professionals and the people out there that can really help you, you know, this is the journey that you need to go on. And, and when did you first do that and how did you do it? Uh, that would have been in... 2016 yeah so, so near the beginning definitely yeah definitely at the beginning and it was just you're seeing out in the media you know um, accelerators or things to sort of get you going for your startup we just sort of uh, started with something with CSIRO with CSIRO they had a prime um, so it was like a, a taste of of an accelerator following that we linked up with the business center and uh, and you just get a real good idea on everything you need to know about a successful startup and how to get it going. Yeah, great. If you have a business problem or question, we'd love for you to get in touch with us and we can answer you on an upcoming show. Send us an email with podcast as the subject line to info at businesscenter.com.au. And you mentioned earlier pains and gains, which is a phrase that's probably familiar to many in the audience, but possibly not all. What, what do you mean by that and how did it apply to be innovative? So when you've got a product that you've created in a startup, it's no good creating a product and say, who's going to use this? You need to create your product with the idea of where you want to take it and you need to know what customers might use this product and what are their pains? Because if you make a product and they go, oh, that's no good to me, we've well, wasted three years. Yeah. So I think you've really got to do those sort of initial interviews with your cust potential customers and finding out what problems they have, what they would like to mm. see done better. And, and go from there. And I guess you were able to do that when you were beekeepers and working exactly. with Exactly, so being a beekeeper, we were already well aware of what the pains were. So yeah. you pop your bees in and the grower said, oh, they didn't do very good this year. Or Yeah, we were sort of already had that industry knowledge which shaped the way our pathway that we took. Uh, did you feel like giving up at any point? Often. Yeah, and why didn't you? Um, I think doing a startup, you've got to be have a little crazy in you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And, and the motivation that, you know what, I really want to see this process done better and I can see at the end of the day, we're, if we're successful, how much this will help the farmers, for our example. Must be stressful doing it with your spouse. No, it's fantastic. Really? Yep. You think oh. about it, we work on it all the time, during the night, yeah. during the day. Like That's we, what I mean. No, it's great. We get on very well. Really? And uh, having a great time doing it. You don't it. argue about it? No. Wow. Yep. So there's another side business, marriage <laughs> counselling for people who, uh, who work together. Um, are there some specific, you, you mentioned seek advice early. Are there other things that you have learned that might be useful to other people going on the same journey? I think probably one of the biggest things is you will feel overwhelmed the whole way through. Yep. And even to this day, I still do. But I think just keep in mind that end picture. Um, know that there's been so many startups before you go through and many are successful, many aren't. Yeah, just keep that in mind. And you basically feel like you're jumping off a cliff and you're building the plane on the way down. Yeah. And you feel like that the whole time. But I just keep that end goal in mind. So do you always think, I reckon this is going to work? Yeah. But did you kind of contingency plan and think, all right, we're both in this. If it doesn't work, what's our exit strategy? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. So, I mean, don't 
don't dissuade for the hot, the side hustle. So we've got a few side hustles, like we're beekeepers. So, yeah. you know, we run a bee business and we sell honey and honeycomb and, and that sort of thing. So, and I think be open to the feedback that you get from the product that you've created. You know, we might need to turn this on its head. Um, so we've actually got another model that um, the products can be used for, and that's a biosecurity model. There's a little mite called Varroa Destructor. Now, we're the only country in the world that doesn't have that mite at this stage. Uh, and it decimates bee populations around the world. So our experience with beekeepers over in America, every year they will lose 50% of their hives through Varroa. Wow. Or if you're a really good beekeeper and you're on your game, 20%. So that's still a lot every year. So this was probably the original kernel, one of the original kernels for this idea as well. The incursion of Varroa will be most likely on a container ship and we have actually had a few close calls down in Melbourne over the last couple of years. And what happens is when the bees come close to shore, they've been out at sea for many weeks. So the first thing that they'll do is go off into the landscape and set up a hive. So mm. that might be in a tree trunk or someone's wall cavity. So the idea is once that Varroa gets established and the bees then swarm as they naturally do every year, that will spread through the countryside and it will be very hard to stop. So currently they have um, what's called sentinel hives around the ports and that's an empty bee box with an attractant in it. So if the bees would hopefully go in there and then they're checked, I think, um, every week mm. or every couple of weeks. Um, but the idea is if that then spreads, well, how do you know? Like it's too late. Like New Zealand had varroa for about 18 months before they realised wow. and it was too late. So what we can do is we would have a monitoring station that we set up the bees would come in, we would image the bees and with AI get a ping, that bee's got a varroa on it. We would then use our drone and our radar to track that bee back to the hive, back to the wild hive. Because once bees and eat sugar water, they would make a bee line, which is where the word comes from, straight back to the hive. So oh. you'd be able to work out the vectors and track that, that bee back to the hive and then go and eradicate it. So that, wow. that's another, yeah, so I guess, you know, you create a product and you can see other uses for it. So, so is that product being used yet? Not yet. Mm. And Not hopefully yet. won't need to We're a bit be busy here. doing the other thing at the moment. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> so uh, how many customers have you got for, for the bee radar? Bee, beeda, um, is that what it's called? Beeda. Yeah. <laughs> Between uh, 10 and 20. Between 10, 10 and 20. Yeah. And, and what challenges has COVID placed uh, in front of you? Well, with a company that we can work in 100 crops anywhere in the world that they're grown, COVID's had a huge effect on us. Mm. We've had our wings uh, clipped severely. However, we've had Did a lot... Did you have overseas customers? Yes. So yeah. over in America, um, we were also speaking to people in uh, France. And um, so all that's on pause um, to be done probably in the following year, mm. fingers crossed, if COVID settles down. Mm. Uh, but we just don't know. But luckily, we've had enough interest in Australia that we've just been continuing on working. So we've been quite lucky. Farmers are still growing crops. Yeah. So bees well, are still Well, when you say happening. in Australia, I mean, in New South Wales, you would have been fine. But what about interstate? Well, that's been really interesting. So mm. we had, for example, a good example, back in August, we had a job literally just across the border, across the river. It was like the next property. So you in could Victoria. see it from New South Wales. Yeah. Yes. It was an almond crop. And we were going down there. They were spraying out a bee attractant. And we were going down there to image and assess where the bees were and how well this attractant was working. So 
you get all your permits ready, you're following what's happening in the media, mm. you're ringing you know, the, the services to find out exactly what the rules are. 10 o'clock at night, we're sitting at the border going, the rules are about to change tomorrow, what will they be? They can't tell you. So we sort of rang the company and said, look, if we come over to Victoria, we can do the job, but then we have to leave all of our vehicles and equipment there and fly home through Sydney because it was a, an almond crop that is quite large and they have many properties. They had a property in New South Wales. So we just shifted the, um, the work to that, that one in New South Wales. So that was fine. Um, we did that job, no worries. Following that, um, the rules have changed and they've brought in a critical agriculture worker, beekeeper being one of them. So when we go on these jobs, often we take our bees as well. The farmer's interested in us taking our bees. If they're having trouble getting bee other beekeepers in, or they say, oh, you can do the bees, you can do the radar as well. So we're able to travel with bees under this new, new rule. Mm. And that's what we did recently. Do you already have a small business? We have developed a range of toolboxes using proven methodologies that can help you strategize, scale, or accelerate your business in whatever industry you're in. Find them now in the shop at businesscenter.com.au. So, so it sounds like the challenge was more just complying with whatever Definitely. rules about where you could go yeah. rather than having to kind of pivot the business or anything like that. Exactly, it's yeah. just complying with the rules. We're very lucky. Um, as I said, farmers are still growing food crops. Bees are still travelling around the country to pollinate those crops. Hmm. So, like you say, we just had to, to fit in with what the current rules were for the time. So, would you have, you know, insights, if any, or, or, or learnings have you got from about that? Um, in relation to COVID or just in general? Just generally, I think. Just in general. I think, um, look, it's going to be um, what you think your company will be and the product you're going to develop may not be the right fit for your customers. So I think, you know, listen, listen to what they're saying and adapt that into your business. It's challenging whether you seek investment or if you try and bootstrap your startup. So you've got to do what's right for your company. Yeah, yeah. And so, how, how did you make that decision? So we made the decision, uh, we're bootstrapping at the moment and we feel that once we're ready for, like, yes, we've been doing work and, and have customers, but once we're ready for that, big global launch where we can work in say you know 10 countries at the one time that's when we'll seek seek our investment so we can grow the company and grow the company's value for the moment because we have customers and then that will influence the amount of investment yeah. we can get so it's just you and your husband david now absolutely moment, isn't it? yes and uh, it's probably not that labor intensive is it i mean i guess you well you tell me but i would imagine you go you install it, you get the data, you analyse it, you give it to them, but you might be able to be working on other jobs at the same time. Yeah, so typically we go um, to the job for three to five days, depending on what the weather is. So a full sunny day where it's warm to a partly cloudy day where it's a bit cooler. So we like to give the farmer a different variety in what the bees are doing. What, uh, what, is your, what does the radar look like? Well, it's about two kilos, so it fits under the drone. Yeah. And um, it's just in a dome. Yeah. So it's all sort of protected from the weather. And oh. yeah. So it, um, but it's got a honeycomb print on the outside. <laughs> very cool. Oh, so it's on a drone. And it <laughs> it's flies underneath around. the drone. Yep. Yeah, yep. right. So very quickly, early on, we were thinking, should we put these sensors on stands and just put them in numerous places throughout the crop? But very quickly, we thought, you know what? Let's just couple it under a drone and it allows us to scale what we're doing a lot quicker. And would so. you just use one drone per farm? 
or a few. Depends how big the farm is. Yeah. Um, anything that's, you know, 100 acres or less, we'll just use the one drone. Um, the batteries typically last for about 20 minutes. So you do need to have enough batteries to keep charging and then you can keep the drone flying most of the day. Um, we like to do sort of three missions, morning, lunch and afternoon. Okay. Uh, the bee activity will change throughout the day as well. Right. Uh, so it uh, tends to be better sort of that during the day, early morning when it's a bit cooler and the sun isn't up as much, yeah. they stay and, home And so do you longer. generally map the same area three times? No, we do more. So yeah. three times a day and we're typically there for up to, say, five days. Oh, so you might, so, you might so map... So we can get a lot of variants. Yeah, right. Question here from a viewer. What were you doing in the US? What crops and how did you help them? Last year we went over to North Dakota. Um, they're a big sunflower growing state. And uh, every crop we work in for the first time, we do it as a trial. So basically we can prove our worth. So we went over and did a trial in sunflowers and we worked on two different properties. Yep. And this sunflower crop was grown for uh, oil. So we actually improved their oil content by 30% with the better bee placement. So wow. that was huge. So when the, uh, they get paid sort of, you know, anywhere on 40% oil is great. If they get 41%, so over a certain threshold, they get a bonus, 42, like it just increases exponentially. Mm. So um, we got a huge, huge response for them. Great. So there's, there's business there when you're able to go and get it. Absolutely. And the interesting thing with sunflowers is they're quite well wind pollinated too. So it just shows you how well the bees actually do in crops that are also wind pollinated. Mm. And so, have you got competitors? Um, not at the moment. Mm, that's good. So... Yeah. <laughs> Good place to be, but yeah. it won't be for long. So Yeah. I mean, it really is, a, I guess, one of the trends in startups over the last few years have been businesses that can measure things that previously hasn't been measured, whether it be uh, uh, the quality of soil. There's a startup in Newcastle doing that, whether it be how farmers are using water, whether it be electricity use in the home or whatever. Yes. But they're all doing the same thing. They're measuring things which previously we couldn't measure accurately and simply giving the information to the end user in a way that's really easy for them to interpret yep. and then make better decisions and allocate resources better. So there's a great opportunity. Just go around and say, what do people need to know, but that isn't being measured yet? Which is what yeah. you guys did, right? Yeah, look, I think we've been lucky. And I think already being in the, the beekeeping industry, you sort of almost had a bit of an inside knowledge. Yeah. Uh, and then coupled with our scientific backgrounds, it, it just came together quite Well, yours nicely. is one of the hardest things to measure, I reckon. <laughs> I mean, it must have been really complicated, a radar for bees. Create your own Big Bang and see your business idea come to life. Our online course, Start Your Own Business, helps you learn the basics in marketing, compliance, modelling and small business finances. As a bonus for our podcast listeners, you can use the code BIGBANG to access the Start Your Own Business course online for free at businesscentre.com.au. Um, what results have farmers seen in terms of yield and profits? Um, huge. So as I said, the 30% increase in oil content for sunflowers, uh, a blueberry farm that we worked on, we increased their profit at least $20,000 an acre. Wow. Over 14 acres. So when you add that up, that's quite significant. So we've had really good results. Yeah. Really, really good results. Great. Does the improved pollination make the fruit bigger? Because uh, if that was the case, it'd make a huge improvement to the farmer's income 
per crop? Depending on the crop that you're working in. So for instance, for this question, blueberries is a very good example. Yep. So better pollination, you do get a bigger blueberry. And over a certain size, they do become a premium product. So yes, you can get oh, okay. more money for the product. Poor pollination, the fruit is a lot smaller. And under 10 mils, they actually throw it out. Right. It's not even used for anything. Wow. So only a couple of millimetres in size, mm. throwing out versus a premium product. I'm just thinking, I mean, when I read the question, I was thinking about giant almonds. I don't, I don't know if I want a giant almond. <laughs> well, that's exactly right. So, yeah. But say in, sometimes you can pollinate too much. So right. apples, sometimes they then have to go through and thin the crop because the trees can't hold the oh. amount of fruit. So, so, so could you pick up that too? Yes. Yeah, so what we can do, we actually had, was talking to a plum grower and he was saying to us when we were down at Evoke um, in February this year down in Melbourne, and he was saying to us that, you know what, this is fantastic because I wouldn't want green on my crop from your radar. I would want yellow. Now, yellow is in the middle. So he thought having, you know, red, yellow, green is what we use, traffic lights. Green is too much for his trees. So he said, I could actually optimise what I get using your radar, but not wanting full pollination. So that, that's another interesting thing that we've come across. Right. So yeah, every crop we work in, there's just different things that the growers want. So, so in your experience so far, have you thought, you know what, this, this, you know, down the track, there's something else we might be able to develop that's even, you know, even better that there's a need for? As not far yet. as bees, not yet. Um, there's a lot of in-hive technology that's being developed. Yep. Uh, but it doesn't sort of really tell you, yes, the hive might be strong, but it doesn't really give you that insight to what they're doing in the crop. Yeah. So I think for now, what we're doing is um, sufficient. But as I said, always listen to your customers. There might be something. You know, we didn't think about, he might want average pollination. So yeah. there's always things that are coming up as you talk to your customers that you think, oh, I can incorporate that into what I'm doing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Do you see yourself as disrupting? It's almost not a disruption because, the you know, you're not disrupting an industry because it wasn't even there before. You know, there yeah. was no industry of measuring That's right. uh, bees except so, farmers walking around going, there seem to be more here than there. That's right. I don't see yeah. it as a disruption. I just see it as, as a huge gain and a yeah. win for the farmers. The other win, um, talking with other beekeepers, is they would say to us, oh, this is fantastic the farmer will value what the bees do for their crop a lot more. So we might be able to charge more per hive. <laughs> yeah, right. So they're also seeing a win as well. So we've had some really good responses from both the farmers and the beekeepers as well. Was it hard initially to know how to price this? You know, because you're not going into a market and saying we've got to go a bit cheaper than our competitors because it's a totally new market. Well, we looked at a few things. So we thought, well, you know, each farm we work on is going to be a different size. They might not want us to scan the whole place. They might want us to just scan half. So we charge a dollar a certain amount per acre yeah. so they can raise or lower as they feel. Um, the other important thing is all the different crops we work in, they're all worth different amounts per acre. Yeah. So blueberries is a very high value crop. And so you'll often find that they're on smaller plots. Sunflowers um, is more of a broad acre crop. So the dollars they get per acre is a lot less. So yes, we do gauge what we charge. We do our research on what the crop is worth and then we go from there. So we don't just have a certain dollars per acre and that's on every crop, we do change. Yeah, yeah. Another yeah. question is the data you're collecting of value within your business model? 
Yes, I think it is. Yeah. So huge amount of data. And like we just use it for ourselves. Um, but the way we present it to our farmer is not all the raw data. It's just this is the outcome. Mm. But I guess the more customers that you have, the more you can go, you know, we've worked with 100 customers and their average increase in yield is 13%. Or, you know, we've found that uh, generally bees only pollinate 78% of the area they're supposed to or you know oh, you, you learn more it's and more huge, it's huge amount and the other thing too is we see the business in the future actually becoming a predictive model so it won't be us out in the crop scanning over the years and we feel it'll be say five to seven years it might be more all the data we're collecting about the weather all those microclimates we're going to be able to put that all into a software that they might ring us up and say, where should I put my bees? And we can go through all of that and it oh. becomes a predictive model. Because as you go through the crops, you are seeing patterns. Yeah. Definitely. So, so we feel that would be a huge way to scale what we do. And it could be a subscription model. So you change the way that you run your business as you progress and yeah. mature. So have you learned something from the data you've collected so far that surprised you about bee behaviour? Um, I think I was really, I knew in the sunflowers that we, I was hoping that we would have a positive impact. Mm. I didn't think we would get such a huge impact like that, yeah. 30%. Like I was not expecting that at all, considering they're wind pollinated so well and bees just add, add that sort of genetic diversity. But it, yeah. was, it was massive. And the blueberries increased their profits by so much money yeah. per acre. I was just blown away. But I was thinking maybe something like, you know, we've found that 90% of the time, bees will go north of their hive rather than south or something Oh, I mean, like they certainly fly different patterns upwind and downwind yeah. and crosswinds, absolutely. So we have seen a huge, yeah, interesting things like that. Yeah. Definitely. And, you know, the way the hives are facing towards the sun and, and shadows yeah. and that sort of thing, you know, they'll, they'll tend to stick on the, uh, the sunny side of that plant versus the shaded side of that, on the opposite side. So there, there's lots of different things that we're picking up. Yeah, and that'll help you. I mean, you should really have a, a second business that's, that works in tandem with this, that's beekeeping, that can use all the data that they're collecting to ensure that they place the hives in the optimal spot. Oh, yes. Yes, absolutely. You're doing that? Yeah. Oh, good. (laughs) Uh, Does Bee Innovative have a role in protecting the precious part that bees play in our ecosystem? Um, Well, definitely, I think in in two ways. So we've got the biosecurity model, like that will be yeah. huge. So if we can, we're the only country without Varroa, if we can protect that, that's massive for our beekeeping industry and it's huge for our farmers. Like if Varroa comes in, borders may shut. It's going to be really hard to get food crops pollinated and pollinated properly. Yeah. So I think that that will be huge. Uh, and I think what we're doing now, it's, it's food security. Yeah. So if we're helping farmers grow more product, they're more sustainable. Um, there's more food out there for the world. So I think, I think this is, um, is a really good thing for society. Yeah, yeah. What's been the best bit so far? I think the best bit is getting the results from, from doing our trials. So we, yeah. you know, initially in that first crop, because you really don't know. And so we always just, you know, tow in the water, see what we're up to. You think it's going to work. You think it's going to work <laughs> and, and it should work theoretically. Yeah. But actually seeing those results and then when we, sometimes we work all the way through to harvest and we can actually say, look, in this area where you had really good pollination, this is the yield you got. In the red area, wasn't very good, was it? And this is what you got. And showing the farmer that difference yeah. is fantastic. And what's been the worst bit? Um, 
The late nights, I think. Yeah, right. Working, working. Working, working. Yeah, But yeah, it's yeah. all worth it. Yeah, and you never argue with your no, never, business partner never. husband, which sounds <laughs> uh, fantastic. Is, is there anything else you want to say from what your experience and what you've learnt to other people going on the startup journey? I think, look, from my background, a scientific background, a startup is such a foreign thing. Yeah. And even to this day, I still feel, I guess, nervous a lot of the time because it's all new. Um, and I'm sure that will change as we go through, yeah. through a bit more time. Um, but I think ha have, the, have the guts to do it. Have the determination. Don't get worried. Oh, it's too much. Like you can make it work. Yeah. You can always make it work. And there's things that you can, you can manage in your life. But just, just take that leap. Now, when you say take that leap, it's, it's easier to take the leap with your own time, with your own hopes. What about financially? Did you, have you had to put yourself on the line financially? Have you had to put yourself in a situation where you thought, if this business doesn't work, we're in real financial trouble? Being a husband and wife team, which is quite unusual, we're both in it. So we certainly had the family security forefront. Yeah. So I think what that's created is not Sometimes you might get the situation, well, I'll, I'll jump out of my job and, and go and do this startup and you'll keep working in your job and then we'll be financially secure. Like we, we've basically just had to work twice as hard yeah. to get this done. Um, and, and we are and we're, we're loving it. Uh, so I think it's just, yeah, just <laughs> to work very hard and yeah. the rewards are there. So next steps, grow the business in New South Wales and yes. when you're able over the rest of the country. Fingers crossed covid and, relaxes and, and yeah, and yep. then when you're able to go overseas again, that might be the time when you're looking for more investment, more staff. Definitely, definitely. So yeah. what what I see us having is, you know, we'll we'll have an office over over in the US, and we'll have one over in Europe, and then that that will you know, staff what needs to be done yeah. across the across the sea. And do you need more staff here yet? <laughs> um, we're okay at the moment, but um, yeah. oh, definitely, too. definitely. There's only two of us, and we've yeah. got children, so right. So that's been another part of the balancing act, right? Yeah, huge balancing act. Yeah. But, uh, the younger two boys are quite like their beekeeping, funnily enough. So Do they? They're happy to come along sometimes. Yeah, right. Yep. Yeah, I'd love yeah. to have a go at beekeeping. I'm a bit, being a bit scared, though. Oh, you get a suit, you're right. Have you, do you get stung, though? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a few times. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah, do you still get stung? Do they? You yeah. Know? yeah. Sometimes you get stung through your glove. Right. Um, so I wear a full suit. My husband wears just a jacket and jeans and he gets stung a bit through the jeans. But, right. uh, Stings yeah. don't hurt him anymore. Oh, no, you just pull them out pretty quick. Right, right. Yeah. But you've got your smoker, so they, they calm down a lot with oh, the smoke. So. And when do they sting you? Do they sting you when they're scared? When they feel threatened. Yeah. So. Right. But they don't get to or know Or if you, you squash one of their mates, they set up, uh, give off a pheromone and the others get a bit cranky. Yeah, right. Yeah. You li like them? Yeah. Like they're good guys? Yep. Yeah? They do a lot for the world, so. Yeah, they do. I'll yeah. take the stings. Yeah, right. Oh, good <laughs> on you. Well, you're taking the stings for all of us. Uh, Kate, it was lovely to hear about Be Innovative and your story from idea to successful business and the future seems bright, right? It does. Yeah. It does. Find out more, like the Business Centre, on Facebook, LinkedIn or Instagram, Twitter or Google. Uh, the Business Centre are fantastic at helping people who have a business and have a great idea like Kate and they're grappling with it and they just, it's all coming at them and they just need some help and guidance and knowledge and mentorship and these guys have done it all a, a million times and, and, and 
really good at, at, uh, at helping businesses, new businesses or established businesses. Google the Business Centre to find out more about how they can help. And uh, on behalf of the Business Centre, I'd like to thank and acknowledge the support of the New South Wales Government's Business Connect program. Uh, you can Google the New South Wales Business Connect program and register for an access more fully subsidised support, including one or more sessions with a qualified and experienced business advisor from anyone in New South Wales. I was just talking to the Newcastle one's the Savo, and let me tell you, they know stuff, they're good. Uh, finally, thanks once again to Jono and Tom and the amazing team at Fordtronic, who provide the technology behind a whole range of uh, projects and who the Business Centre in Newcastle strongly endorse, as do I, after working with them. It's been great being the guest presenter. Uh, thanks, Kate, I've enjoyed it. Steve will be back next time with his indomitable style. Thanks for listening to the Business Big Bang Theory podcast. Do you know someone we should talk to? Do you have an idea for a topic we should cover? Or would you like to be featured on an upcoming show? Get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email with podcast as the subject line to info at businesscentre.com.au.